guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Really good. It's been good. another week. <laughs> my life's so boring. I'm like, nothing happened this week. Well, not anymore. I know you have all these things going on, these mom things where you take your kids to do stuff. Oh, that's boring. <laughs> it's very boring for me. <laughs> it's good. But it's for busy. Them. It's busy. Yes, it's very busy. But I hate to say that because some people have way busier things. And I'm like, oh, two things in one day. I hate this. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm trying to be quiet about that. But yeah, life is fun. It's always exciting. Always an adventure. Not really. All right, Mandy. Let's Alrighty. do this. <laughs> So everybody's heard stories about how winning the lottery really is not all that it's cracked up to be. There's actually been some TV shows even about this. One of them um, was called The Curse of the Lottery. Have you ever seen any episodes of that, Melissa? I've heard of it. Maybe it was just one episode and they had a bunch of different stories on there. Yeah. I remember I've watched it. I watched it like years ago. All these stories about people who won big on, on their local lotteries and then have gone on to have just not great things happen in their life. So it's a thing, the curse of the lottery. Yeah. So not only do about 70% of lottery winners go broke within the first few years, but suddenly they have all these people coming out of the woodwork. You know, everybody wants to be their friend. Even their own family members are looking for a handout sometimes. And money, as we've seen in a lot of true crime stories, drives people to do absolutely insane things. And that is what we're talking about this week. Today's story is about a man named Abraham Shakespeare, and it comes to us from our home state of Florida in the city of Lakeland. And before we get into what happened involving Abraham, we're going to tell you all about Lakeland, Florida in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Lakeland has a population of around 100,000 residents as of the 2013 U.S. Census Bureau. That's honestly more than I thought. It like would be. five times, as, maybe a hundred times as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not think it was that big. <laughs> no, I didn't either. It seems like a very, very small town. And people will tell us, we don't know the definition of a small town. I get that. But like in my mind, 10,000 and under is a small town. But I would have probably classified Lakeland before this as a pretty small town, right? Yeah. Lakeland was not actually the original name for the town. And Lakeland sits kind of between Orlando and Tampa, right? Am I... Am I thinking of my map right it's that yeah ish <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of sort of if you don't know the map of florida you won't even know so lakeland became incorporated on january 1st 1885 and some of the names that were tossed around before they landed on lakeland was rome city Redbug, and munville but then the residents looked around and realized hey there's over 38 lakes here and thus the name lakeland was born a portion of the movie Edward Scissorhands was actually filmed in Lakeland. There's apparently a part in the movie where Edward has his hands sharpened. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, so I can't really remember all of this. But the storefront in this movie is part of a real hardware store there called the Crowder Brothers. Hmm. Yeah, Lakeland is also home to, you like this, Mandy, Royal Swans. Oh, <laughs> so back in 1923, there were lots of predators and disease that wiped out the native population of swans from Lakeland by really the year 1954. There was a resident of Lakeland, a former resident rather, that had moved to England around this time, and she heard there were no swans left in her beloved land. So she wrote Queen Elizabeth II. How do you just write Queen Elizabeth II? <laughs> <laughs> when I was reading this, I was like, mm, I feel like there's a connection here. Yeah. And so <laughs> she asked for help for her former hometown. And so Queen Elizabeth allowed the city of Lakeland to import two royal swans, and now there are more than 80 or so living in Lakeland, all descendants of the royal swans of England. Oh my gosh, I love that. It's very foofy foofy. <laughs> that is so cool. awesome. So lastly, public supermarkets are really a staple of the South, right, Mandy? We love Absolutely. Publix. Yeah. Yes. And they were founded in 1930 in Winter Haven, Florida by a man named George Jenkins. If you've ever been in Publix or worked at Publix, his photo kind of hangs in the front of the building and is sort of like this weird ghost thing and but like a nice ghost <laughs> that like gives you free cookies. <laughs> so Publix headquarters is actually now located in Lakeland and Publix is huge. If you're not from here, like it's a big thing all up and down the East Coast, really. Southeast. I feel yeah, like Southeast. even if you're not from here, you've at least heard heard of someone talking about Publix online, if, at yeah. least somewhere. <laughs> if not, now's, now's where it happened. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually over 1,200 locations now, and that's 1,200 stores to get the perfect sub, Mandy. 1,200 stores where shopping is a pleasure. Or, this is a nod back to an old episode, if your name is Quinn Gray, 
1,200 stores to pick up a thing of drumettes. <laughs> Just get your drumettes from there. <laughs> so that is all I have for this week. Didn't know how to end it, and I ended it on drumettes. Let's just That's keep awesome. going. Yeah. That, was, that was a lot more about Lakeland than I ever knew. If uh, anything else okay. happens in Lakeland, we're screwed, because I think I took all the facts. <laughs> yeah. No, there's some, more, there's some more stuff that I save for later. Perfect. So Abraham Shakespeare was a man that grew up really without very many luxuries in life. He had come from a poor family. He was the son of a citrus picker, and he had stopped attending school in the seventh grade, which meant that he was mostly illiterate as he navigated the rest of his life. Abe spent time in homes for juvenile delinquents as a teen after committing a number of nonviolent crimes. Most of them were like petty theft type situations. And he added a few other criminal charges to his record over the years when he was caught driving without a license and eventually for failure to pay child support. Abe went to prison twice, but he got out in 1995, at which point he moved in with his mother, Elizabeth. For all of his adult life, Abe worked various jobs in the labor field, including washing dishes at restaurants, unloading delivery trucks, and working as a garbage man. He would occasionally also do work at a local barber shop that was owned by his friend Greg. He didn't have a car or he didn't even have a driver's license. He had no credit and he was just making a measly $8 an hour at his job. But Abe's lot in life suddenly changed on November 15, 2006. He was 40 years old at the time and he was down to his last $5. He was at work one day riding in a delivery truck with a driver named Michael Ford, and they were on an all-night ride to Miami. They had made a couple of delivery stops along the way, and one of the stops they made was at a convenience store in Frostproof, Florida. So I had never, have you ever heard of Frostproof? Mm -mm. So I'd never heard of it. So I looked it up and learned that the name of the city was actually a marketing ploy to get people to buy land there on the basis that this city would never have a frost that would destroy the citrus trees grown there. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they called it Frostproof. So the whole city is only two and a half square miles. That's a really small town. <laughs> that, yeah, it really is. It reminds me of, um, okay, tell me if this is a real fact or not, because sometimes I think I make up things in my head. Wasn't the countries Iceland and Greenland, weren't they named the opposite to confuse like the enemies during war? So Iceland was really green and Greenland was really icy. Is okay, I don't know history, but I true? do think you're right on that. I think oh. I've heard that somewhere else. Either that or that's one of those things kind of like, did uh, George uh, George Washington actually have wooden teeth? You know, click here to find out all the things in history you've always gotten wrong. That's what <laughs> that fact might actually yeah, be. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I think you're actually right on that, though. Yay. So this tiny, tiny town of Frostproof is where Abe and his co-worker Michael had stopped at this convenience store. So Abe asked Michael if he would grab him two lottery tickets. He just wanted the quick picks as opposed to, if you're not familiar with how lottery games are played here in the U.S., I'm not sure if lottery is the same everywhere or if other places even have it, really. So you can pick your numbers. Usually, I think, isn't it five numbers, Melissa? Or is it more than five? I, I don't know how many it, was it is. five, and then you can do like mega, at least in Florida, then they have the mega number. Or the Powerball, Powerball. which yeah, is, there a, you go. yeah, there's a few different states that have Powerball. So you pick, you pick your numbers that you want, and then... You just wait. And if your numbers are drawn, then you win the jackpot. So he just wanted quick picks, which is where the computer just picks random numbers for you, spits them out on a ticket, and that's that. He didn't go through and pick out his own numbers or anything. This is completely random. The lottery jackpot for this lottery was $31 million, and Abraham would soon learn that he had the winning ticket. So in an instant, this man who had lived in poverty for his entire life now really had the world at his feet. He decided to take his winnings in a lump sum payment of $17 million, but after taxes, he was left with about $11 million, which is really nothing to sneeze at. I would not cry if I got no. my hands on $11 million. So you can imagine how difficult it must have been for him to even really know what to do with that kind of money, especially for someone like Abe, who had grown up really with not, you know, hardly two pennies to rub together. And as sometimes it happens in this case... People really started coming out of the woodwork to be friends with Abe. You know, because he was not very educated, he dropped out of school at a very young age. He was also really naive and he was a very nice person, very generous. So he actually gave away right off the bat. He started giving money away. He gave money to his family. He gave a million dollars to his stepfather. He gave each of his sisters $250,000. He gave several thousand to his mom. And then he was also giving friends large lump sums of money to just help them out and be a nice guy. He paid off a 
$185,000 mortgage. And then he paid another man's mortgage. He didn't even know this person. So you can see how that kind of spending is going to quickly deplete yeah. or the amount of money that you have. For the first time in his life, Abe was really even able to take care of himself. He was able to buy himself a really nice million-dollar home in this gated community, as well as a new Ford truck and a BMW. Part of his winnings were used to pay back what he owed in child support, which is about $9,000, and Abe also used a million dollars to set up a trust for his young son. Abe was suddenly surrounded by people that he really believed were his friends, but after forking out more and more money, he realized that most of these people were just greedy and looking for a piece of his pie. About three months after Abe cashed in on his winnings, his co-worker, Michael Ford, who, if you remember, was the guy who drove with him on the day that his ticket was purchased, filed a false lawsuit against Abe, claiming that Abe had actually stolen his ticket from him and that he was entitled to whatever was left of the money. A drawn-out process ensued in which Abe had to go to court to prove that he was rightfully entitled to his lotto winnings. He even brought in a garbage bag full of old lotto tickets that he had purchased over several years. Like, basically, hey, I've been doing this for a really long time. Right. My number was eventually going to come up. This is not a stretch. So this lawsuit went really nowhere, and Abe was able to prove that Michael wasn't entitled to any of the money. But this wasn't the end of Abe's post-lottery strife. I did think it was interesting. I wonder if he gave any money to Michael. Because I kind of, especially as generous as he is, I wonder if he did and, you know. He may have, yeah. I feel like he probably did, just based on the kind of guy he was. Yeah. So by the time two years had passed since the lottery win, Abe was actually starting to run out of money. He'd given much of it away to family and friends, as we mentioned before, and now he was down to just $1.3 million of the $11 million he had won such a short time period ago. Mm, that's so fast to spend that kind of money. It is. And I don't feel like he had this expensive taste. You know, he did have the nice house and, you know, two nice cars, but I don't feel like there was anything else showing that he was living this like lap of luxury lifestyle. It seems like he was just helping a lot of people and maybe got manipulated by a lot of people, really. Yeah. I mean, he was like very well known around Lakeland during this time. And like, because everybody just kind of knew him, you know, as the guy who won the lottery and, you know, he was willing to help anybody out. And so, yeah, I can, I I can understand how he, how the money went down so quickly, but gosh, that's like such a hard pill to swallow. It is. And I feel like now more than it used to be, I feel like growing up, a lot of times you would see people's faces on the news, right? When they won, it would, you know, they'd parade them out and they'd show the big check and all that stuff. But I feel like now people don't do that anymore. You rarely see somebody, they won't publish their name. It's, I've seen somebody wear a mask on TV. Like it's really (laughs) way more anonymous, understandably. Yeah, I'm not telling anyone if I win the lottery. Yeah, I yeah, I don't blame you. I I don't know that I could do it, but like in my mind I'm like, no, I would never tell anybody. But yeah. <laughs> if I have a secret, like it's 2 seconds before I'm like, okay, you can guess. I'm going to give you 5 guesses. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, a new person shows up in Abe's life looking to befriend and quote unquote help him. Doris Moore, who goes by Dee Dee, has been following Abe's story in the news for quite some time. As Mandy said, Abe was really well-known around Central Florida at this time because of his rags-to-riches story. So Dee Dee shows up this annual business conference where she met the realtor that had actually sold Abraham his new house. At the time, Dee Dee was in a wheelchair and explained to the realtor that she had recently been in an accident, but that she was a writer and she wanted to be introduced to Abraham so that she could help write a story about him. So the realtor sets up a meeting between the three of them, and they all get together to have this conversation. So when Dee Dee and Abe finally meet, she discussed with him this idea that she had for a book and she wanted to write it using Abe's story. But she also wanted to offer up her services as a money manager so that she could help Abe make the best choices with the money that he had left. Keeping in mind, we've been saying this whole story that Abe was mostly illiterate and was very naive. And so he was like, oh, you can handle my money. You can help me, you know, not lose the rest of my money. Sure, you can be my money manager. So he trusted her and he took her up on her offer to help him secure the remaining money that he had left. As part of their deal, Abe purchased a home for Dee Dee to use as an office to work on this alleged book that she was writing to tell his story. But as time went on, no such book was ever produced, and it really appeared that the only thing Dee Dee was doing was writing herself checks out of Abe's bank account. But there was also other fishy and suspicious business when it came to Dee Dee as well. 
She had taken it upon herself to open an LLC, and she even named it Abraham Shakespeare LLC. But in the process of doing this, she granted herself access to the assets. And essentially, she created a joint account between herself and Abraham. So, of course, it's highly doubtful that Abe would have really been able to understand any of the implications of this kind of arrangement or of what she was setting up and what she was doing. And also, she has, you know, told him that she's this financial whiz and he trusts her. So he probably wouldn't have thought it was strange. Yeah. And he's already gone through $10 million. So I think he realizes I've got to get some kind of help and somebody's offering help. And, you know, I have to do something because I can imagine once you go through $10 million, you're like, oh, <laughs> there's not a yeah. whole lot left. Maybe you can help me like whoever can right. help me. I think you're probably pretty desperate at that point. So the relationship between Dee Dee and Abe was always what Abe believed to be just this professional relationship. It was never anything romantic, but they did eventually get close enough as friends that Abe started to confide in Dee Dee that he sometimes regretted winning this lottery and he felt like people were just using him for his money. Then in November of 2009, three years after Abe had hit the jackpot, he suddenly vanished. He was reported missing by his family after he failed to show up to a court appeal in the lawsuit against Michael Ford that we talked about a little bit ago. At this point, it had actually been months since they had even seen him, which the last time they saw him was in April of this same year. So it had been about seven months since anyone had actually laid eyes on him. But they had just always assumed that he had taken his money and relocated to some Caribbean island because I guess he had talked about possibly doing that or he had said in passing you know, I really wish I could disappear with the rest of my money and yeah. I just don't want to be bothered and all that. So his family and friends are thinking, well, you know what? Maybe he just did that. Good for him. Maybe he just took off, you know, went to make a new life. In that seven month period, though, people who lived in Abe's community said that they simply just stopped seeing him. He stopped showing up at the barbershop where his friend Greg worked and nobody saw him, you know, driving around town in his nice, fancy new cars anymore. He was just gone. And before we get into the rest of the story, we're going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Two weeks ago, I had a full kids Saturday. We went from a soccer game to a birthday party to a kids English square dancing event. And yes, that is an actual thing. And normally I wouldn't jump into a full day of activities and brand new shoes, but I decided that this would be the perfect test for my brand new Rothy's. And I am so glad I took them out on their maiden voyage that day. Not only are these shoes insanely comfortable, they are super cute and machine washable. Plus they are made out of recycled plastic water bottles, which is something your other shoes can't say. You heard Melissa right recycled water bottles. And because they are seamlessly crafted from the bottles, they are ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. There is zero break-in period, which is perfect for a busy life on the go. I'm a simple woman. I like breakfast foods and stylish and comfortable shoes, so I love my Rothy's. I chose a pair of the sneakers in steel gray, but Rothy has four different styles of shoes, including the flat, the pointer, the loafer, and the sneaker. I can dress them up and wear them with a romper or bum around in a t-shirt and shorts, which let's be honest, that's my summer wardrobe. Either way, my feet are comfortable and my outfit gets a much needed pick-me-up. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com moms. Go to R-O-T-H-Y-S dot moms to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com moms today. Every day, I am one step closer to never having to leave my house again to run errands. There's food delivery and grocery delivery and even a mobile pet cleaning service. And now I can add bra shopping, all from the convenience of my own home. You too can skip the trip to the mall and find your perfect fit with Third Love's online fit finder. You can order your bra and try it on in your own home with no worries of a little kid sneaking under your side of the dressing room while you're trying to change. The fit finder quiz is super simple and it takes just about 60 seconds to find your perfect fit. I thought the quiz was actually pretty fun, and it taught me that not only does your breast size matter, your shape does as well. My third love bra is easily the most comfortable bra I own, so much so that I bought another one. And I know it will be for you as well. Buying anything sight unseen can be a little scary, but that's why third love's return policy is so wonderful. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you still don't love it, you can return it, and third love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. 
now back to the episode. So now we have this missing man and these crazy circumstances surrounding it all. And then there's Dee Dee, who was almost immediately a person of interest in Abe's disappearance. Detective David Wallace was put... David Wallace? That's from TV's The Office. Okay, I thought that name sounded so familiar. It is. Same thing. I love David Wallace on The Office. Yes, so a new David Wallace was put on the case, and he knows that there was something really sketchy about the situation. He couldn't find any evidence that Abe had left on his own free will either. It didn't take long before police figured out that Dee Dee had a few dark secrets of her own. She had been in trouble with the law on more than one occasion, and her crimes were pretty brazen. She had once gotten caught embezzling $1 million in company funds and purchasing high-dollar luxury cars with it. She also took a lavish vacation on the company's dime later on. In another incident, Dee Dee attempted to defraud her car insurance company to get out from under her loan on a Lincoln Navigator by staging her own carjacking and rape and filing a false police report about it. She was convicted of insurance fraud and falsely reporting a crime, and she served one year of probation. Makes me wonder if her whole wheelchair thing was real. Oh, I already have thought like that that was just part of Dee Dee's like, charade. I was going to bring that up later, actually, after... We said a little bit more about Dee Dee and her character, but yeah, I totally think that was fake. Yeah, that's just an interesting tidbit for that to be the way she met him. I don't know. Yeah. So Dee Dee was understandably someone that the police really wanted to question harder about Abe's disappearance. So they brought her down for an interview. She played it really cool with the police and she basically said, you know, this is just all one big misunderstanding. She said that she helped Abe disappear with his money, but hey, he's still alive and well. She told police that Abe said he didn't want anyone to be able to talk to him or track him down and that he would come back to visit every once in a while. Dee Dee also said that she personally helped Abe leave and she said that she bought Abe's assets from him, including his house, which she moved into after his disappearance for $840,000 in cash. Even if this was true, it was much less than what Abe's assets were actually worth. At the very least, she appears to be really bad at her job as a financial advisor. And needless to say, her story really didn't add up nor could she even prove that any of this was even true. The police were unable to verify that she had given Abe $840,000 in cash or that she ever had $840,000 at all. That seems like if you're going to tell somebody that story, you better be able to back up like you had that kind of cash around. (laughs) Yeah, I watched a little clip of a press conference that Sheriff Grady Judd, who if you are from the Florida area, if you know anything about Polk County or anything, he's hilarious and he's just like a very no nonsense kind of kind of guy. But he did a press conference about this and he was talking about this $840,000 that she alleged that she had used to, you know, give Abe in cash in exchange for all of his assets. And he was just saying, you know, they could find no evidence that she ever even had that much that kind of money. And, you know, if she did, then... He made this little joke like that the IRS is sure going to want to know about it and check it out. So, yeah, but it's just such a weird thing to say to the police that like I bought, you know, I gave him $840,000. Like you don't think they're going to try and verify that? Right. Somehow? I feel like it make more sense to be like he told me to take care of his house while he was gone and that he would come back in. You know what I mean? Selling right. it for cash. That's I mean, that's a big. How do either of you have this money at this point? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So all of this that we're talking about wasn't even the only information that came to light regarding Dee Dee's handling of Abe's money. As it turned out, Dee Dee had been spending Abe's money ever since he was last seen in April of 2009. She had been writing checks out of this joint account that she had deceptively and fraudulently set up so that she could have access to the money. In the months leading up to Abe's disappearance, Dee Dee had already purchased a Corvette for $70,000 and a Hummer for $90,000. So of course, With all of this, the suspicion is really mounting against Dee Dee, and she was starting to really feel the heat that the police were putting on her. So she decided to reach out to Abe's friend, Greg, who was the barbershop owner. One of the reasons that she did this was because through her relationship with Abe, she had learned that he had given Greg a $63,000 loan, and she intended to use that information as leverage to manipulate Greg into helping her. So she told him that if he would help her get the police off her back, she would forgive the $63,000 loan, which I didn't really understand. I know I'm assuming that nobody in this story really knows anything about how financial advisors work, including Dee Dee. 
including Dee Dee, she doesn't understand either. Because even if you're someone's financial advisor, like you don't have a right to like forgive debts on other people's behalf. You know, she can't just say like, yo, I'll forgive this for you. Yeah, that would be up to Abe to decide like, if that was okay, you know, it's his money that he that he's owed. So I just thought it was very confusing that she tried to use that. But Greg was, you know, thought this sounded like a great idea that he could get this loan forgiven, and he wouldn't have to pay back any of this money. So he agreed to help Dee Dee. And at this time, he is fully on board with Dee Dee that she that her story is true. And he believes that Abe has gone and taken his money and moved somewhere else. This is what Dee Dee has told him. So he just thought, I'm going to help Dee Dee however I can. I don't really know what he thought he was helping with. But I guess just to hide his friend who doesn't want to be found. That's what he yeah. is thinking. He's going in this to help. So at Dee Dee's persuasion, Greg agreed to pretend to be Abe and place phone calls to Abe's mother where he was like, oh, I'm okay. I don't want to be found. I'm fine. You know, I'm doing my own thing. By chance, did you hear Greg actually like reenacting himself doing that? I did. Yeah. It was so hard to hear, wasn't it? It was. It just made me sad because basically all he did was use his same voice, but then he kind of slowed it down a little bit. But that was all he did, expecting his mother not to realize that's not her That's son. Not yeah. Right. Yeah. So Greg also agreed to sign cards from Abe and having them sent to his family so that they wouldn't worry about him. In another attempt to make it seem as though Abe was just living the good life on a tropical island, Dee Dee wrote a two-page letter to Abe's mother and signed it with his name, which, as you just said, this is odd. His mom knows he dropped out of school in the seventh grade. She's known this man his whole life. She knows he can't read and write. He's definitely not going to write her a two-page letter and sign it and, you know, deliver it that way. So she was really instantly suspicious about this whole thing as soon as she got it. She did say that the signature, it did resemble Abe's signature, but she was thrown off by the fact that he would be writing her a letter like this at all. So Dee Dee convinced Greg that, All they were doing by doing all these things was to just help Abe stay undercover where he was at and that, you know, she had this idea in her head that it was her personal mission to see to it that Abe was never found. Of course, at this point, the police were already all over Dee Dee and they were already following her every move. So they realized that she had been having these meetings with Greg. And of course, when the police are investigating you for something like this, they really think you have something to do with this man's disappearance. Everybody that you talk to, they are also going to look at these people now. You know, if you're having frequent meetings, especially when it's you're meeting up with someone who also knew the victim in this case, they're going to be like, what is going on here? So the police, after one of these uh, meetings that Dee Dee and Greg had, the police decided to follow Greg and they pulled him over to ask him a few questions about this phone call that he had made to Abe's mother where he was claiming to be Abe. Obviously that does not look good for him, you know, to the police. They're thinking, well, he's obviously in on something with this if he's pretending to be this man. But within just a few minutes of speaking with Greg, the police realized that he was really just another victim in all of Dee Dee's antics. And they knew that she was manipulating him, but they still wanted to use Greg's close relationship with Dee Dee to their advantage. So they put him to work as a confidential informant, which I think is one of my favorite things about this whole entire story. Me too. That Greg went and like helped the police with this after, you know, and that the police were like, okay, we know like you don't have anything to do with this. We can tell that, you know, this woman is also manipulating you. So I just thought that was just one of my favorite parts about the story that he turned confidential informant. Me too. So Greg agreed to continue meeting with Dee Dee and gathering information on her, but he also had another idea with how he could get proof of these things that Dee Dee was saying in their meetings. He came up with an invention of his own that he called the catch can. It was a Red Bull can that he installed a microphone inside of and used it to record his interactions with Dee Dee. The detectives on this case were actually super impressed and amused by the catch can idea. And one said in all his years as an undercover officer, he would have never thought of this. I thought it was so funny, the catch can. Yeah, but that's like putting me with a Diet Coke can. Nobody would be like, maybe that's a recording. <laughs> like they'd be yeah. like, no, Melissa's definitely just drinking that. So the tapes that were recorded from the can were very incriminating for Dee Dee. In one conversation, Greg asked her what she thinks about Detective Wallace, and Dee Dee says that she thought he was trying to frame her up for killing Abe. And Greg, of course, at this point still believes Abe is just living the life on an island. Another recording captures Dee Dee convincing Greg to now pose as a drug dealer from Miami named Ronald. She told him that this man named Ronald had seen Abe 
but she said that she didn't know his last name and for some reason she wanted Greg to pretend to be this guy. That was all very, very confusing to me. I feel like she was just like throwing things at the wall to see what would stick. <laughs> just yeah, everything she all was. At once. So spoiler alert, guys, there is no Ronald. Through the tapes and other evidence that the police had collected on Dee Dee, they now believe she was the prime suspect in Abe's disappearance and his probable murder. Sheriff Grady Judd that Mandy talked about earlier held a press conference in early January 2010 in which he said that he hoped Abe was in fact alive and well in the Caribbean with all of his money, but that the investigation into his whereabouts did not point to that being the case. Finally, after several hours of taped conversation and interaction with Dee Dee, playing along with this whole charade and setting her up, she drops a bombshell on Greg. Dee Dee casually asks Greg if he would help her move Abe's body. Up until this point, Greg really believed that Abe was actually still alive, and he was really taken aback whenever Dee Dee starts talking about Abe's remains. She said that she would need his help because of the location of the body and the fact that her neighbors would be able to see what she was doing. So Greg really, like, it was flawless, really, in this conversation. I heard part of this conversation where she basically says, hey, you know, if somebody's digging, my neighbors are going to see, and he's like, oh, we'll do it at 6 o'clock in the morning. Nobody will be up. No big deal. But to go from hey, my friend's on an island to this lady killed her and now we're talking about digging him up. I thought he like played along really, really well. Like very much thought on his toes. (laughs) He did not miss a beat on that. So Greg continues to play along and he gets Dee Dee to tell him where the body is. And it was actually on her boyfriend's property under a concrete slab in the backyard. Can you imagine learning this? No, and that's your friend, you know? And you, at least at first, he thought she was his friend too. And she he thought she was Abraham's friend. Like, there's just so much betrayal there. It just breaks my heart for most of the people involved in this. Not Dee Dee. Police were stunned by this information, and they wanted to move in to arrest Dee Dee, but they really had to tread lightly. They knew they would still need to recover Abe's body as evidence, so they came up with a plan. Dee Dee had asked Greg if he knew anyone that would be willing to tell the police that they were responsible for Abe's death. She offered $50,000 as payment to anyone who would do this. Really, why would somebody come forward and be like, by the way, I killed somebody. Give me my $50,000. I have a lot of honey buns to buy in prison. That doesn't make any sense. No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It really doesn't. I mean, I was trying to think of, you know, I I don't know, like, yeah, where like somebody might do that. And I mean, I guess if you... I don't know. I, I can't come up with a good reason why you would just send yourself to prison for life. And even for $50,000, even if you owed someone that much money, it just is. It just seems like an extreme. The only scenario. To get, to get that kind of The money. only scenario I came up with is if you were on bail and you've committed five homicides and you know you're about to go to prison for life and your family could use the $50,000, maybe then you would be like, sure, just add this on there. I don't care. But otherwise, yeah. there's just no reason somebody would be like, yeah, prison forever, sure, $50,000, make it 5000 I don't even care. The detectives working the case decided to put an undercover officer on the task and had Greg introduce them with the intent of getting Dee Dee to unwittingly confess to this murder. So Dee Dee propositions the undercover officer and offers him the $50,000 to confess to killing Abraham. The officers agrees, but he told Dee Dee that, you know, he's got to know where this body is buried. On January 25th, 2010, Dee Dee met with Greg, who was cooperating with the police and with this undercover officer, and she showed him the concrete slab where she claimed Abe was buried. She also gave him a 38 Smith & Wesson revolver, which she said she had used to shoot Abe. She actually gives him the murder weapon. The case against Dee Dee was stronger than ever, and all the police needed was the final piece of the puzzle. They began digging on the property on January 26, 2010, and the following day they found what they were looking for human remains buried beneath a concrete slab right where Dee Dee said they would be. And we have more to get into in this story, and we will right after one last word from this week's sponsors. Do you ever strive for tranquility? Do your kids make you pull out all of your hair, even the fuzzy baby ones on the side that never bothered to grow in the first place? Then you should check out Sagely Naturals. Sagely Naturals is a line of CBD-infused lotions, sprays, supplements, and essential oils that can really give your body a boost where and how you need it. It's perfect whether you're looking for a little support in managing stress, have some discomfort, or even on days when you work out too hard. Sagely Naturals was nice enough to send both of us some products to try. 
We both immediately picked products from the Tranquility line because while we love our kids, they are the opposite of tranquil. Hi, it's me, your friendly neighborhood prude. If the idea of CBD oil is new to you, that's okay. It was new to me too. I was surprised to hear that CBD is actually found in broccoli and kale, but it's most abundant in hemp. That's why Sagely Naturals extracts CBD from hemp plants that are grown right here in the U.S. They are also completely THC-free, so you get all the benefits without any of the psychoactive effects. I really love using the Tranquility Roll-On. I roll it on my temples, the back of my neck, and some days consider just rolling it all over my body while repeating Serenity Now over and over again. I love how easy it is to use, and an additional perk is that it really smells nice and also gives me the feeling of tranquility to start my day, even before the caffeine is kicked in. Sagely Naturals helped me get back to doing the things I love, and I think it can help you too. Go to sagelynaturals.com moms for 20% off your first order. That's S-A-G-E-L-Y naturals.com moms for 20% off your first order today. sagelynaturals.com moms. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Myro is a deodorant company that's making deodorant better, like 10 times better. It's not the regular old drugstore stuff you get because Myro is a deodorant you can feel great about wearing and buying. They make their natural deodorant with a custom blend of essential oils that release over time to keep you fresh and barley powder to keep you dry. Here's how Myro works. First, you choose one of four amazing scents, including my favorite, Chill Wave, which is the perfect combination of cucumber, jasmine, and spearmint. I love that my deodorant smells great without that artificial scent you get with the other guys. You also get to choose the color of the container, which makes it personalized for you. Once you've placed your order, you'll get a refresh every three months delivered straight to your door, conveniently timed for when most people run out. You can switch scents, press pause, or stop literally anytime you want. Their formula is hardworking, long-lasting, with no toxic anything. 0% aluminum, 0% parabens. Their ingredients are clinically tested for safety and efficacy. This is super important to me as my daughter is now at the age of needing deodorant, so I want her to start off with a deodorant I can feel good about her putting on her skin, and she can have a fun container and customized scent just for her. Get 50% off your first order and get started today for just $5. Visit mymyro.com slash momsandmurder and use promo code momsandmurder. Again, get 50% off your first order and get started today for just $5. Visit mymyro.com slash momsandmurder and use code momsandmurder. And now back to the episode. So the police have now discovered this body that was buried under this concrete slab on Dee Dee's boyfriend's property. So later on in that same day, Fingerprints were able to confirm that it was, in fact, the body of Abraham Shakespeare. The next day, detectives interviewed Dee Dee's ex-husband, who told them that sometime back in the early part of April, Dee Dee had contacted him asking if he could help her dig a large hole in her yard. Dee Dee told her ex-husband that she needed this large hole so that she could bury concrete and garbage in it. And since he had been getting paid already to do other yard work and projects for Dee Dee, he agreed to take on this job as well. Does nobody question the fact that you're burying concrete and garbage? Like on your property. I mean, I guess some people bury garbage, but it's not a landfill. It's your house. I don't understand. No, we don't do this. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, this is just another example of her just saying things and just hoping people buy it. And a lot of people buy it. Nobody stuff. questions yeah, it. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. So he told the police that Dee Dee had called him to come back out to her property about two hours after he left from digging the hole. And she was saying, can you come back now and fill this in? So he said he did go back and fill in the hole. But at the time that he was back there doing that, it was dark outside. And he said he never saw anything suspicious. An autopsy that was performed found that Abraham had been shot twice with a 38 caliber gun, which, as we said, was the same caliber of weapon that Dee Dee had given to Greg and, you know, had confessed that this was the murder weapon. So that definitely lined up with what, you know, police already had on her. On February 2nd, less than a week after Abe's remains were located, Dee Dee was arrested and charged with being an accessory after the fact because that's really all they could pin on her for the time being. But it was at least something to get her into custody while they continue to work on official murder charges. Dee Dee immediately went into self-preservation mode and attempted to offer up several different explanations as to what could have happened to Abe. Like you said, she just throws things and hopes they stick. Yeah. And so she she went through this whole cycle. She made made up various scenarios to and told the police. 
At one point, she had blamed one of Abraham's relatives. She blamed this drug dealer, Ronald, from Miami, even though the police already know Ronald's not real. They've already been following these conversations that she's had about this made-up person. And at one point, she even tried to pin this murder on her own 14-year-old son. What a monster. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. I know. It's just, it's mind-blowing. So at some point, while she had been interviewed like numerous times, she offered up this video that she had taken, and it was her and Abe in this video, and they were having this conversation. Strangely enough, it's the only time you ever, like it's the only video that even exists of her and Abe together. So it's not like they were just buddy-buddy and they were always taking like Snapchat videos together or something. Like she just had this one random one-off video, and in this video, you can hear Dee Dee asking Abe if he ever gets tired of people asking him for his money. And Abe said, they don't take no for an answer. And then Dee Dee starts asking Abe, you know, where would you go if you could escape? And he just kind of like, you could tell that he's a little bit annoyed or confused by this whole exchange. But he just said, like, you know, it doesn't matter. He, I'm not a picky person. It doesn't matter. So then Dee Dee offers up some suggestions of her own. You know, she asks, like, oh, what about California or Cozumel? You know, do you want to go to Mexico? And, you know, asked him if he would miss living in Florida. And he said, I might miss it, but life goes on. Of course, this video seems to suggest that Dee Dee's story about Abe taking off with his money, you know, could be true. But As I said before, the police were not convinced that this video wasn't coerced or somehow taken out of context. He wasn't even paying attention in the video. He was like on his phone, just kind of like, shut this woman up. Like she just, he was just like, yeah, no, yeah, I don't care. I mean, it was like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like they weren't having this conversation of how he wants to run away. It was just kind of like, sure, whatever, fine. You know what I mean? mean, It it, it was weird. Yeah. Um, But if anything, I feel like that whole video just proves like that she premeditated this whole thing because she thought ahead enough to make this video that she was, you know, thinking she might need this as evidence, you know, to save herself one day. It's really, really messed up when when you think about the things that this woman did. You know, she's living in his house. She's like, you know, making false, you know, having people make false phone calls to his family and Mm -hmm. say that he's okay. I mean, she really is a monster doing all of these things to this whole entire poor family. So finally, after all of these stories that she's feeding to the police are kind of flopping and they're not really buying any of it, she finally admitted that she did help cover up Abe's death, but she insisted that she had nothing to do with the actual murder. Of course, even this story is in direct conflict with the fact that she'd been keeping up this charade for months, as I said, and she's been doing all these crazy things. So once Dee Dee was in custody, a judge set her bond at $1 million. Several days later, a funeral was held for Abe where dozens of people showed up to pay their respects and to demand justice for his murder. It took a couple more weeks of good detective work, but on February 19th, 2010, Dee Dee Moore was officially charged with homicide. She passionately denied having anything to do with the murder by saying, I would never hurt nobody. I like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Disney. What? I wrote you (laughs) as soon as I heard that and was like, Mandy. What is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that be an excuse or like, what? I, I just can't. Even like a five-year-old wouldn't be like, oh, I never stole that. I don't like, I love Disney and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> a five-year-old right. even like, I'm not messing with that. That's not going to help this situation. But for her. Right. <laughs> so when it came time for Dee Dee to enter a plea, she went with the not guilty. And she claimed that the media had treated her very unfairly. And she called this whole ordeal life-altering trauma for herself. As opposed to murder that changes nothing. Right. In the trial, prosecutors laid out a pretty simple scenario for the jury. They said that Dee Dee had befriended Abe and she took advantage of the fact that he was illiterate and naive and she stole his lottery winnings and then she murdered him. That was the basic gist of what, you know, what they were claiming. The star witness in the trial was, of course, Greg, who was Abe's friend that had turned confidential informant. He was on the stand for three days giving his testimony, which the defense attempted to pick apart. And they were saying things like, you know, Greg was actually just trying to frame Dee Dee for the murder because he couldn't pay back this $63,000 that he owed to Abe. And pretty much they're trying to suggest to the jury, you know, they're trying to plant the seed that maybe Greg had actually killed Abe and, and you know, framed Dee Dee because all they need to do is just plant a seed of reasonable doubt, right. you know, in the jury's minds. So they seemed like they were kind of trying to use Greg as a scapegoat for that, which always just really infuriates me. I feel like I know it's all fair in, you know, trials and stuff. And these lawyers are doing whatever they can to get 
get their client, you know, get them off. That's their job. But I always just get so upset whenever it's like an innocent person gets dragged, you know, dragged through the mud like that. And now they they had nothing to do with it. But just to make your case, you have to turn it on them. Yeah, yeah. I hate that too. I understand that they have to show, you know, it's their job to try and have a good trial or, you know, good representation for their client. But yeah, that one's always kind of hard. So the defense tried to call Greg's character into question by pointing out that he himself had been convicted of several felonies and had spent some time in prison. And they attempted to claim that he taped these conversations between himself and Dee Dee and that they were carefully controlled with Greg doing all the talking and really leading Dee Dee into these incriminating statements that she made. I, I mean, come on. So throughout the whole trial, Dee Dee really has a really crappy attitude and repeatedly makes snarling faces and really aggressive gestures at the jurors, which, why are you doing that? It's never going to work out in your favor. No. I never understand that. So a friend of Dee Dee's even approached a couple of jurors in the court parking lot one day and made intimidating remarks. It was bad enough that the judge actually ordered security guards for the jurors because they felt threatened and uncomfortable. Dee Dee did not testify in her own trial, and on December 10th, 2012, she was found guilty of first-degree murder as well as discharging a firearm. She angrily blamed her defense team for her conviction and insists that she is innocent of this crime, even saying that she believes anyone who thinks she's guilty must have no brain cells and that we're all just idiots for believing she killed this man. (laughs) Did we both watch a 2020? I know I watched a 2020 about this, and she was interviewed with the guy who interviewed had the whole thing with Anthony Curcio. I recognized him. I can't remember what his name is. But she was so mean to him and was like, you're an idiot. Everyone's an idiot. If you think I did this, that person's an idiot. She's like, it is one of the most insane interviews I've ever seen. She's like, look at these papers. All these people want to talk to me. They want to reenact my story. I was like, snapped? They want to make the episode of Snapped about you? They don't even have the original lady anymore. It's going to be garbage. I don't know what to tell you. But it was just the most bizarre thing. And she... I really think she kind of believes all of her own lies, right? Oh, I think she – oh, she definitely does. She has really maintained her innocence. And like you said, I feel like she honestly must believe that she's innocent herself because I, just to even say like, oh, anyone – you know, they, you don't have any brain cells. I'm like, really? Like literally all of the evidence points to you. I yeah. Know, like, I wanted to hear her justify the evidence because I'm thinking, what? Like you you gave them a gun. <laughs> How? Yeah. It was – you know, there's just too much – it's not like one thing that's off. It's so many things. So Dee Dee was ultimately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and she got an additional 25 years for possessing a gun in the course of a violent felony. After the conviction, Dee Dee claimed that her attorney didn't allow her to testify, even though she really wanted to, and she requested a new trial. Her attorney says the decision to not take the stand was all Dee Dee's and that they did not force her to sit out. Something kind of interesting that Mandy came across while researching the case was this article from 2017 that the mother of Abraham's son had actually won $1 million off a $20 scratch-off ticket that she had purchased in Lakeland. She took the lump sum payment of $770,000, and the son that she actually had with Abraham will get $1 million of Abe's winnings when he turns 18, thanks to the trust fund that he put in place before he was murdered. What a small world it is that she, that the mother of his son also won a million dollar. I know. That's like, I feel like if you even know anybody who ever has hit a, even like a scratch off, like to win a million dollars on a scratch off is a lot of money it for is. a scratch off. But then to have two people that were that, I mean, they have a son, they have a child together and like both of them won like lottery jackpots. It's really, that it just seems very strange. It does. I just wonder if we just don't know about so many people that win. Like you were saying that people kind of keep it to themselves and they can be quiet about it. I wonder if there are more people and we just don't hear about it, you know? Because yeah. I do know of a couple people that have won some kind of lottery things and I'll never tell you how I know them, but for the same reason that nobody, they don't want that information out there. And I understand it, but they haven't given yeah. me any money. So maybe, maybe this is where I start blackmailing them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually have a couple of fun facts about winning the lottery because um, it was just kind of something that came up while we were you know, researching the story. So lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years than the average American. And nearly one third of lottery winners will eventually declare bankruptcy, whether it's in the first few years or just at some point, which is really interesting. But you know, you hear of that and people are not prepared to get that kind of windfall usually and they don't know what to do with it. And people do. They give money away. 
I read this thing, this study that said that lottery winners just have a hard time telling friends and family no I'm when sure. it comes to money and that, you know, your family, especially, you know, you think these are people that you love about and care about deeply. And so you want to help them and you want to make sure they're okay. But unfortunately, you know, like we said, money is kind of the root of all evil a little bit, you know, and it cannot kind of even turn your family against you. So as of 2016, Florida is the state with the third highest revenue generated from lottery tickets. And we only come in behind California and New York, which mm. I thought was pretty interesting. I guess people in Florida love their lottery. As we said, there's lots of stories out there. There's been TV shows and, you know, specials, nightly specials that have come on outlining situations where people have won the lottery and just really wishing they never had won any money at all. So that's really interesting. I read something that said that there's like studies that show that people who win the lottery, like they're not any happier or anything. Yeah. I feel like I would, I would like to be the guinea pig <laughs> to test that theory. <laughs> I believe it though. What is it? Who said mo money, mo problems? Is that yeah, Biggie? That is Biggie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, I can see how it, you know, it, it costs more to maintain things and you have so much going out more than you normally had going out. And I, I get how that would be another stressor. I mean, it'd be nice to be comfortable, but I can see how I can see how that could go downhill really quickly. But yeah, I would also like to give it the old college try. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't play the lottery. I only ever buy a ticket if it's like the biggest, which is the dumbest time to buy it because Me too. Yeah, because I like know. that's when your competition's there. <laughs> Everyone's yep. playing then. So yeah. I like scratch off tickets. I don't buy them very often. The last time I bought one, it was just like a random thing. It was like a little scratch off ticket vending machine at the grocery store. And I had a couple singles, mm -hmm. like dollar bills. So I just went and bought one and I ended up winning $150 Whoa. on that ticket. So yeah, but it was like, the I haven't bought a scratch off since then. Cause I'm like, well, like I'm probably literally never going to win another yeah. scratch off ticket again. So. I remember at Christmas, we had an uncle that used to give us scratch off tickets and we just knew like, Hey, if you win anything, you got to give it to your parents and turn it in for you. Yeah. That was like a very common Christmas gift for us. And I loved it. Those were like my favorite gifts. Yeah. So before we get out of here for this week, we're going to do our last thing before we go. And the first question comes from Sarah E in our Facebook group. She wants to know if we have ever had jury duty. Melissa, have you ever had jury duty? So I have been um, picked to go to like I've gotten the jury summons whenever I lived in a small town north of Tallahassee, basically Georgia. And it was the funniest experience of my life because you go and it's like small town, very, very small town. And there are five people there I knew right off the bat. Walk in, you're just, everyone's hugging each other. Everyone knows each other in the room. So as they're like picking people to, you know, question like, do you know the defendant? One person would be like, yeah, that's my cousin. And the next person would be like, do you, are you related to anybody in the case? The sheriff is my uncle. Literally everything. They went through like 25 people. Just everyone was related to somebody oh. in the case or I own the store or this, this, and this. So I was like, I'm definitely going to be on here. But I never, my number never came up. I haven't been chosen or I haven't gotten a summons since I've lived in Orlando, which I mean, I just feel like odds are I'm probably going to get one tomorrow. Wait, no, I did get one, but it was whenever my son was really small. So I was able to call out on it, but I want to, I don't think we'll ever be allowed to yeah. with this podcast. What about you? I've been called twice, but the first time I had my older son was like three. And of course, being a stay at home mom, like I didn't really have anybody to watch my child while I was in a courthouse all day. So I did the same thing. I just sent in a letter explaining that I had a young child at home because I think in Florida, there's actually it's a law. Like if you have a child under the age of six at home and you are the sole provider or caretaker of them, right. then you can be excused from jury duty. So I use that excuse that time. And then they, I got another summons when my second child was a newborn. I think he was like five or six weeks old and they sent me a jury summons. And, uh, same thing. I sent back like that. I have a three-year-old and a newborn baby. So sorry, I cannot go to jury duty right now. So I got excused from both of them. I haven't had a summons since then. They probably took me off the list. They're like, this woman is too busy no way. popping out kids. They're <laughs> waiting to put you on a federal one. You cannot get out of federal ones. Have you... Well, my I used to work for this doctor and he got a federal summons and he's like, you got to get me out of this. So I'm like, all right, you know, thinking it's a regular jury summons you could get out of. So I like write this letter and I'm like, you know, he does surgeries. He can't believe you call again. He's still on the list. And he's like every day pressuring more and more. He's like, you have to get me off this. They need to know, <laughs> like we're writing certified letters, all this stuff. I'm like, I don't think you can get out of this. And so the Friday before 
he has these surgeries. He's like, we might have to reschedule. I'm like, yeah, I've been telling you this for like three months. Calls his like personal attorney and he comes to my office. He's like, okay, we have to get rid of everybody on Monday. We have to reschedule. I'm like, I know I've been saying it. And he said while he was sitting there, you just cannot get out of federal for anything. And he said he sat there and as the numbers were called, he said he just started getting like a full on migraine because he realized they were like, you have to be prepared to be here six to eight weeks, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm a small business owner. I have all these people working for me. And like there was an, um, somebody else that was like owned a huge company and they were like, sorry, that doesn't matter. It was just a mess. He was like, I'm going to be stuck here forever. So luckily he got out of it. But I'm terrified to get federal because they just are like, I do not care. <laughs> do not care how many kids you have. I don't care if you have a horn growing out of your head. You're going to be here. He was like, people were trying to act crazy and it wasn't working. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, this was a long answer for both of us to have never been on jury yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very talkative and very hot in this room. I've got to turn my air down lower next time. <laughs> okay, next question. Uh, Richie A wants to know, if we were stranded, would we rather be ridiculously hot or ridiculously cold weather? Okay, you do that one. You go first. Definitely hot, without so- a doubt. Are we saying that there's any water around? Like, are we saying there's well, no I'm way to assuming, cool yourself down? No, no, no. I'm assuming there's water, like a water. I'm assuming there's water. You think you're on scenario. an island? <laughs> this, you think you, this I'm is on Hawaii a beach somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> you think there's a restaurant? You just think you've gone to the beach. That's what you're thinking. This scenario is. And I can just get in the water and cool off, right? And I like just sit there and be cool. Okay, but what if the scenario is? It's hot. You never sunburn, like you're never going to get sub poisoning or anything. It's just hot all the time or it's freezing all the time. You won't get frostbite and die, but you will be miserably cold. There's no cooling yourself off with water and there's no warming yourself up with several layers. Then what is your choice? Still hot. Okay. See, that's whenever I have to switch to cold because I get like rage, like Momo rage is what my family calls it. When I'm too hot, I just, my insides feel like I'm boiling and I get super upset and I'm getting there right now. <laughs> just oh thinking about gosh. it. But I hate being I see, cold. I, no, I hate being cold so much. And like I was reminded of it when I was on my trip up north just recently, even though it's May, it was so cold and it was like rainy and just like damp and it was like in the 30s and it was just awful. At one point there was ice falling out of the sky, which was very unusual for a Florida person like me to see in May. Wait, but snow or ice? Just, <laughs> no, literally ice. Like Oh, I don't sleet? even know what that's that what like. You call oh, it? okay, sleep. Yeah, yeah, sleep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but I was reminded very quickly that I do not like to be cold. I had on so many layers. I had on so much clothes. And it was just like the air I just felt like was penetrating my skin and getting down to my bones. And I was so cold. And I just hate that feeling. I would so much rather be hot. You might be right. You might be right. I feel like if water's involved, I'm definitely fine with being hot. If water's not involved, then it's questionable for me. I just don't want to be in this scenario, okay? Can we just not be in this scenario? I hate it so much. (laughs) So so before we go, we have a promo we want to play from the podcast Case Closed. And a few months ago, we spoke about the story of Aaron Corwin. And they actually did their first season was all about a book written about her case and um, this new season they will tell you all about what that's going to be about in this promo but make sure you stick around and check it out all right guys have a great week we'll see you next week bye bye the gun was large and chrome plated the morning sun glinting off the polished surface four times the men pulled the trigger from mcmillan podcast this is case closed My name is Charlie Spicer. I'm an executive editor from St. Martin's Press, and I've edited hundreds of true crime books in my 33 years here. I know there's so much true crime out there already, and so much of it doesn't really have an ending. You're left feeling unresolved. For this show, we're going to talk about cases that do get resolved, where they catch the killer, where the evidence stacks up to a conviction, Our first season covers the murder of Rusty Snyderman. It was a gray November morning. Rusty drove up to his son's preschool, exited his car, and was shot four times in broad daylight. Who killed Rusty and why? We'll answer that question and find out what pushes an average person over the edge. Who really pulls the trigger? 
Tune in each week to Case Closed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can't wait to hear what really happened to Rusty Snyderman? Hear the full season right now on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash caseclosed and use code CLOSED to start your free trial. I'm Charlie Spicer. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.